one of the big issues you find in philosophy of technology is this sort of tension between the sort of potential for liberation in the technology, which is how it's sold most of the time, and then the fact that it is mostly used in industrial society as a way to sort of like force compliance and mass production. So you have tension back and forth. If you invent a plow, you open up a frontier. Someone can go raise their family in an area that was previously uninhabitable. That is a gain in freedom. But if you use a car, even though it's advertised as freedom, it's like you're locking yourself into gasoline, roads, right? Like uh, finance, things like that. So you actually are, it's a decrease in freedom. The effect technology has on individual freedom is a recurring theme in lunchtime discussions at the Talon office. Chief Product Officer Anthony Arroyo has a background in linguistics and the philosophy of technology. This positions him well to explain the nature of this relationship and how Urbit positions itself between the two. Anthony offers the key insight that today's computers have evolved from their nature as tools into mechanical colonizers of our lives. More than just absorbing our attention, the online services which advertise greater human connection are in reality limiting the way we relate to one another to a centrally defined mode of interaction. This extends to the way we consume news, poisoning the well of information and leading to a toxic mass social environment. He offers Urbit as a solution that allows the user to determine their mode of interaction and the scale of their social graph, rather than a graph that is global by default. Anthony also introduces three characteristics of a virtual tool that are needed for it to conform to our expectations and experiences of physical tools. He describes those characteristics as simple, durable, and yours. Finally, we learn about Urbit's decrementing versioning system and the benefit of software that evolves towards stability. Worthy of note is that Anthony refers to a networked Urbit instance as a ship. Uh, I went to school to study jazz performance, actually, playing the upright bass, uh, play the saxophone as well. And I went to uh, undergraduates to do that. And then I eventually changed and I was like, I'm going to do something more lucrative. So I got into philosophy and philosophy of technology, which is actually quite an interesting thing because it's one of these questions where it's sort of like you think you know the answer and you just don't because you're surrounded by technology. And you start thinking about it, you're like, I don't even know what technology even really is. If you had to give someone a definition, it's like, is it an iPhone? Is it a pencil? Right? Is it an axe? And then you go, you know what? There's technology being built now. I should get into that. And so I learned how to program basically and how to engineer, quote unquote, in that environment. I worked on a lot of interdisciplinary teams and did robotics, uh, some vehicular design, uh, agricultural uh, technology. I uh, worked in fish farming uh, for a little bit, um, uh, row crop agriculture, pharmaceuticals. And so during this time, like all you know, people who have a job, I have like a open source project that I spend most of my time actually reading about at the office. You know, And so that was Urbit at that time. And what does a chief product officer do? What does a chief product officer do? Um, when I came here, Urbit – could not be said to be a product really in any sense, right? It's – many would argue that it is still not, right? But it explicitly was essentially a, an engineering project 
with a, with a pretty substantial amount of research. So my role, I think, is to help that go from research project to thing that people have and in their hands. Product a lot of times means like has taken this meaning where it's like the Facebook search bar is a product. It's like it doesn't. It's like a weird. I don't know what that means, right? Whereas for us, it's like you have something like that. What they would understand as product, which is that the the UI, the end user UI for uh, our operating system, and then you also have the uh, the more developer facing operating system as such. Those are both parts of, of those are both products really. So I manage both of those. So when we spoke before, you mentioned a scenario in which technology can be both enabling mm. and also, in a sense, imprisoning. Yeah. Can you explain the enabling side of technology and also the carceral side of a single technology? Yeah. I'm going to give you kind of a convoluted answer. I'm sorry. Um, there's, there's a certain way in which that, that question and how you answer that question is the distinction. I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of um, – a lot of it hinges on – Freedom, essentially, right? Uh, which is, an, of course, a very fraught idea, right? Like, what is what is freedom really? You might want to say like agency or something, right? So, if you think about like um, uh, the the plow, if you think about the settling of, uh, we can talk about the American West, we can talk about all kinds of whatever uh, frontier type thing, the ability to have small. Um, horse-drawn plows or, or game – or sorry, not game animals, uh, draft animals, that's a, a gain in, in, in freedom and agency on the part of the small farmer, for example, because now they can actually do these things with, with uh, fewer people, right? And so that seems like pretty clearly a net gain in freedom, let's say, in agency on the part of the farmer. Horse-drawn plow is an amazing thing if you think about it, right? Because a horse is essentially a renewable resource. If you get two horses, you could have infinite horses almost, right? The plow itself is like if you're okay at metalwork, you can keep the plow together, right? And if you have enough pasture, then you can feed the cow, the the, the horses or the, the donkeys or mules, whatever you use. And so you basically have this renewable thing. You're You're free, right? Which is an amazing thing. There's kind of an esoteric way to think where it's like that is the first solar, you know, powered thing, right? Because the sun is on the pasture. The pasture grows by itself through water from the – you're not putting any extra energy into this thing. You're off the grid. You are literally off the grid. Now, what's funny is that like you look at the transition from the draft animal to like the, the motorized tractor, for example. OK. Well, that's interesting, right? Because on the one hand, you lessen your requirements for other things like the draft animal. But you increase your dependence on the network of uh, of having gasoline. So you're on the grid. You're more on the grid, right? But but at the at the beginning, it seems like actually more freedom because it enables you to do more things, right? I asked Anthony about how computers fit into this framework. It seems like computers are a pretty good idea. It's clearly good, and it's a real part of our lives. Would I have, would I be married right now without a computer? I mean, it's a sad thing to say no, right? It's cuz the my the way I contacted my wife after we met the first time was via, you know, some of these services. So so they're good things, right? And I think the problem right now is that you have to sacrifice too much of your freedom in order to get the good things that these computers enable one to do. And that's a sort of two compromises in your freedom in my opinion. First is like the very obvious. It's like Google is 
rifling through your underwear drawer. It's like just, it is basically looking at all your stuff, using it in ways that I probably would disagree with. Like we would all disagree with. And so it would be good if we could basically not make that trade-off. And I don't think there's any reason to make that trade-off. And that's kind of what Urban is all about. It's like we can have the good things without the bad things. It's not a package deal. Um, in fact, it wasn't even designed to be like this, right? So that's the one thing. It's like c- can I please have the benefits of computing without taking part in like a surveillance capital sort of panopticon gulag environment? The answer is you can, right? You actually can now if you want to like live some sort of neckbeard Unix uh, world, right? But, but it's like let's make that uh, – uh, let's democratize that. Let's make that a more real thing to the average person. The second thing is that I think that the way that these – it seems – I mean you walk down the street and you see a whole bunch of people shuffling along, looking at their phones. It seems very clear to me that people's personal lives are being sort of colonized by a lot of these uh, things that should be tools. And it seems to me now that all of these quote-unquote products are in fact addictive substances basically that are designed to be that way. And I think that trying to basically uh, beat the – purveyors of this stuff over the head morally or like have a congressional committee. It's like this is all a stupid way to do this, right? You need to create a better way to do it. And I think that the only way to do that is to make sure that these tools are designed to be tools and not to be basically casinos, right? I mean, which is basically what these things are. I mean, they're sort of like an addictive environment I think is the best way to think of it, which is a weird – only sort of – Analogy is a casino where the whole thing is architected to keep you there, to keep you in this kind of weird, inflamed, agitated state, right? And increasingly as the internet becomes a bigger part of our lives, our political lives, our cultural lives, it means that our entire society and a lot of our inner state becomes this sort of disgusting uh, agitation. And I think that that's also not necessary. There's no there's no logical reason why it had to end this way. And so it's like, can my can I just send an email to someone without being basically roped into these things and being surveilled? And the answer is, I think I can, right? And to be perfectly frank, I would benefit from that. Right? Like, I, it's like I, I'm not just doing this for you know uh, the rest of the world, doing it for myself and doing it for my family, uh, because I don't want to live in this sort of the uh, Hieronymus Bosch sort of painting, you know, which is what I think of when I go on Twitter. I'm like, my Lord, how do people live like this? You know, every single person that's saying terrible things or online all the time, there's a person at the end of that, you know what I mean, who is like, that's what's terrifying to me. Is just thinking about the person who's sitting there glued to their computer just consuming this stuff. It's like, that's not a good state to be in. And so it's like, can you can you play a role in helping that person have a better choice? Like, I think that's a very inspiring thing to do. Oh, that's very good of you. <laughs> I know, such a humanitarian, Anthony Arroyo. No one's going to accuse me of being a humanitarian. So events in the real in the world that have um, that have led us to this point, yeah. that have in generated my, my a need. Life, yeah. In, yeah. In, in your life, um, this can be personal, this can be... Oh, is this where you asked me about uh, geopolitical events? Like, would Brexit have happened? It's, it's funny because I do think that you look... I'm, I'm using air quotes. Listener at home, I'm using air quotes. P- political. What qualifies as political is this huge field, right? It's an amazing thing. It's not like who's on the school board. It's like every conceivable part of your life. 
And it seems pretty clear to me that that is driven a lot by the entertainmentization or whatever you want to call it of the informational ecology. And so there's no such thing as a neutral information environment. There's no such thing where it's like a, something that just gives you, you know, the ticker, AP ticker, you know, sort of like here's what happened today. It's like that's it's a fantasy. And so I think now we live in this environment where like no one even pretends like that's the case. All the information that you get is – is spun in some way or another, right? You know, so we live in this hyper-politicized information environment. Returning to an environment where people were able to actually manage their information and communications, I think is like would clearly be better. It would be better for even the political arrangement of this country. Insofar as I have any political leanings, I'm just basically a localist. I believe that people should basically govern themselves insofar as they can, you know? And so – that's impossible if you just have someone just constantly poisoning the well of information. You know, you just see people relate to one another, even the city of San Francisco, via Twitter. It's like they can't just deal with each other. They have to do it via this sort of national, global agent. We're talking about how information circulates among people. And I think the fact that it's now clear to everyone that there is there are levers that people can pull. Just what I mean, it doesn't even have to be nefarious, right? It's like what ads get shown, what gets bubbled up at the top of a feed, whatever. It's like that's those are levers, right? And you're just putting yourselves in a very precarious position when you're asking someone be like moral with the use of those levers. Because they might not even know enough to be moral, right? The political situation in our societies now reveals that there's basically too much power. There's high ground. And once there's high ground, someone is going to seize the high ground. There's just no – right? It's like it's elementary game theory. So it's like what you would like to do is to eliminate the possibility of that high ground, right? And that's basically what a suitably peer-to-peer system will do is like there's fewer choke points and the choke points have less power. It's like, yeah, I do think that democracy would be served by having – actual sort of like local control over information systems, communications, like without a doubt. And so the reason that someone would adopt a system like this is because of kind of hedonic burnout because they're just getting so bombarded by noise and crap. And um, that's having a big part of it. Because it's not like this is going to eliminate the existence of Facebook. No. But what it does do is offer an alternative that is a – environment that someone would prefer to live in. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting to think when you talk to VCs and sort of prognosticator type people, you know, it's like it just seems like the obvious question to ask is who is going to be the next Facebook, which is like a hilarious thing, right? It just reminds me of like the Cold War, right? It's like I oppose my global system to your global system. It wasn't like maybe we shouldn't have a global system. It, you know what I mean? It's like it wasn't that was not on the on the table. It's, it reminds me of like uh, Godzilla movies where you have like Mecha Godzilla and Godzilla. It's just like it's like are you gonna you think there's gonna be a Mecha Facebook that's gonna come in and do some weird shit? I'm sorry, I'm cussing. Uh, as a family show, it's 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 like the wrong question and also like tactically impossible. You know what I mean? It's like it's like the civil. War, I mean, like I said, the Cold War is an interesting example. What you want to do is create a system whereby it is impossible to make a Facebook. In, in the bad way. Meaning it's like those features exist. I mean, they were good. I mean, it's like, right, like sharing feeds of information, like we're working on that now. It's like, but it, it's like the idea that there should be a centralized point. 
in a health like in a healthily functioning system that should not be a, a a position that can be occupied if if you create that environment if you create that system the idea is that that will be compelling and that's and i think it's compelling just straight up i think i mentioned earlier from like a human evolutionary standpoint it's like we're not in an environment that we want to be in and given uh, the option, a credible option, then I feel like the 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 sort of um, benefits of of, of Urbit or, or something built on Urbit would be apparent, you know. And it's just an interesting; it's a different way to think. I, it's like I don't I don't know if I can convince you know a super Silicon Valley you know ebook genius you know that's going to get sell me tell me how to start a startup that, that this is the right way to do it because like I feel like a lot of that's that wisdom is based on some of these existing models um so you know maybe people won't buy my pitch you know because of what we're saying and like how we're going to roll this out how we're going to make this usable for people it's not like a different way to trick people <laughs> you know which I think sometimes that's what people are talking about we're going to find some different way to to trick these people into using our thing and that's not what we're trying to do. And that's part of the sort of simple part of durable, simple yours. It's like it has to be simple enough that it's that, that its simplicity itself is compelling. And we're, clearly, we're that's an aspiration, right? It's, it's not simple right now. But I do think that that's the right way and the only honest way to go. It's like, like I, I just believe that you're not going to beat these people at their at their own game. It's like you'd be stupid to try. One thing that I want to make sure, like I get across is that Urbit is really about building human-scale communities and interacting with a human-scale group of people using computers. And is this related to, you know, some um, technological interpretation of the Dunbar number? Yeah, ba basically. And I think that that's sort of implicit what I was saying about sort of looking how people evolve. It's like they don't evolve to deal with the entire world. It's like a lot of our problems, I think, come from trying to deal with the whole world. It's not – we're not – we can't, right? If you just think about how when you go on Twitter, it's like you're just like here, you and the whole rest of the world, right? And it's just a, it's just not, it's not. I don't think it's, it's destined to failure. It's destined to kind of what we have now because basically making that legible to people involves a lot of obfuscation, meaning that if you were to see every tweet that's sent, you would just probably have a seizure. It is like you, you couldn't, right? So someone has to hide it from you. And someone has to sort it for you. And there's all these decisions I have to make that are basically just implicit in the scale of what they're trying to do. A lot of problems come from things being the wrong scale. It's, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I really believe that, not just technologically. You read things. It's like how to have a company. It's like, well, how many people are in the company? How well do the people know each other? How, it's, it's like, it's, it's like you, if you try to make scale-free recommendations, you're just doomed because everything works at some scale. <laughs> And that's true for human societies. It's true for technologies. It's true for computers or whatever. More is different. Yeah, always. So um, as I'm sure the listeners know, my I'm, my name is Poldek Tontag. That's uh, my, my Urbit handle. Anthony Royo is Poldek Tontag. There you go. I've been on the network for quite a while and that's always been my handle. And so if I go into a chat and I say something, people already have – people who have never met me personally have a sort of reputation. It's not a sort of score in some very rational way, but they know Poldek has been here for a long time. I recognize it. He said X and Y inflammatory thing in the past, whatever. Uh, that's a joke. I, I never say inflammatory things. Uh, eh, but you can read papers all over 
There's PDFs all over the internet about reputation systems, right? Well, how do I know that this Reddit user, blah, 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 and they have all these proprietary ranking and, blah, and all these things for anything, right? Well, your problem is you have too many users. If someone just doesn't know your name and know that you're not a schmuck, then you have too many users and you don't need a reputation system. You need fewer. You need you have to be in smaller buckets almost, right? And so I think a lot of these problems that we, people try to solve with technology have to do with the fact that they're just at the wrong scale. So – but you realize that if you actually just have like a naming system where it's like that – like my name is just my name. I, I can't change my username. So people just know Poldeck, if, if I act poorly, I will get a worse reputation. It's an interesting thing that w- once you – realize that so many of these problems are scale dependent. That's one of the things that we think about a lot is that when you're – if you're going to make sort of a human scale computer network, what problems can you not solve? Maybe you don't need to solve these problems. Maybe just knowing someone's name and having like hearsay solves a problem. You don't need – it's like if if there's 10 people in your office, you could just ask them if they know something. You don't need like a complicated search uh, or something like this. And so I I do think that 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 frees us up and it also like makes – our our approach to these problems slightly different. So around the office, the term calm computing comes up mm. regularly. Yeah. What what do you guys mean by that? It's a, so let me let me let me give you once again. I, I can't give this short answer. Sorry. Um, it doesn't have to be a okay. short <laughs> like no. it's in black and white. No, it's like uh, calm computing is just like uh, Brian Eno. It's in black and white. No, there's like there's a more comp, there's a more complicated answer. The as far as the average user is concerned. Right, the UI is the thing. So, you know what I mean? It's like I don't even know how to. It's like almost too stupid to explain. But it's sort of like you know, most people are not like worried about the p list files on their Mac. They're worried about what's the the boxes on the screen, right? Um, and same thing for Facebook and whatever. And so, uh, and yet, in the sort of certainly in the SaaS world, uh, and I think for most. Most computing where you have to be an expert to change things, right? You have no control over what your thing looks like, right? You're looking at boxes that were made by somebody else. It's like you ever watch Black Mirror? Yeah. But there's like that one early one where he like everyone lives underground in these sort of like boxes where there's a TV on all walls and like if they close their eyes, like it sort of like screams at them. And it's like that's really the world that we live in online. It's like you're not asking to see most of the things that you see. Um, and so that is, I would just, but you're like, that is uncalm, right? Uh, by, by almost by definition. Uh, and it's not meant to be calm. It's meant to be like, I think I've used the term before. It's like inflammation. It's like, that's basically the, the, the word that I think of to describe the aesthetic of most of our digital lives is like an inflamed kind of environment, right? Certainly, I think that if, if we had the choice of what we wanted to look at, it would – we could basically give people the option of of having a calm computing environment, meaning like having actual control over the notifications you get, having actual control over what you see, what you don't see, stuff like that. Um, and that's – so it's, it's one of those things where it's like we certainly can't declare that everyone who uses their Urbit can't put blink tags all over everything and it's just this sort of like, um, you know, listens to Square Pusher all the time and it's just sort of like, I mean, if you want to, go for it. I don't care. But you can't, I can't make you do it, right? And so I think that we're basically opening the possibility that someone could have a calm computing environment. The thing that's interesting is that when you have a smaller environment, um, the amount and what you see 
the amount of content you see and what you see is sort of a known quantity, so it's easier to deal with, right? What is, the, what is an urban alternative to software as a service? What is the alternative that Urban offers yeah. to this extremely frenetic, <clears throat> not calm, and complex yeah. uh, environment? I mean, let's look at just like a very simple example, right? So Instagram is an extremely simple service, right? I mean, it's just sort of like a list of URLs to images or something and comments. It's like very simple. So the question is, how would you build such a thing on Urbit, right? Right now, let's say the the, the social graph, the, the data representation of you, all your images, all the comments on all your images, your people that you follow, people who follow you, let's say, uh, is all kept in one I – mean, one huge database, just a huge glob. <laughs> it's not true, but it's like just a JSON file somewhere. So, so basically, that graph is owned by Mark Zuckerberg, right? He keeps it in his uh, underwear drawer. But it's like, so, so the question is like, it's owned literally, and it's owned figuratively as well. It's like someone else is managing your list of friends, your list of shit. It's like all your data, whatever. So the question, so just from a purely uh, abstract point of view. That same graph can be represented by each person in that node keeping their part of the graph. Meaning instead of having one big data structure that has a list of all people and a list of all people's photos, you basically have a whole bunch of computers, each of which keeps its own photos and its own comments, et cetera. Does that make sense? And so when I want to subscribe to you on Urbit Instagram, I basically just ask your ship. I'm like, hey, can I please subscribe to a feed of your images? And when you – and you say, yes, sir, you can, right? And then when you update that, I get that information. And now it's it's basically syndicated from each node uh, to the other nodes that subscribe to it. For example, like a CDN would still work, right? Because you could basically keep – you could syndicate essentially a link to a CDN as opposed to the actual image itself. Whereas the, the list of comments and links and stuff like that is very small. I mean you could handle the traffic there. Does that make sense? Yep. And so actually what's interesting about our model is that instead of um, – if, I, if my ship would like to – if I'm trying to like, – oh, I wonder what Arthur's up to. My ship has been sinking stuff down from you the whole – as soon as it became available. So when I look at your photos, I'm not look, going to your ship and hammering your ship. I'm going to my ship and looking at it. Does that make sense? So it's it, – the, the load is more evenly balanced in that way. So like you p- upload a new photo. It gets syndicated to all your subscribers and then it's basically done. And, and so – in the Urbit model, you're always looking at your own ship. Does that make sense? I'm not going to someone else's computer. I'm My computer is pulling in subscriptions to other people's computers, and I look at stuff at my computer, and that's how I can actually control the UI because I, I'm always only going to poldectontag.com, so I can totally customize what that look looks like. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I'm getting to get a picture here of what you guys mean. And I've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took 25 hours of interviews, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. But so we have access to all the information in the world. Yeah. But the thing is, a lot of it we don't care about. A lot of it we do not want to encounter. Yeah. And so we have to have these phenomenally heavy weight and expensive pieces of yeah. logic yeah. to filter all down to a tiny bit of information that really is just what's in the local paper already. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of, 
Exactly. It's a parallel to the beginning of this discussion when we were talking about how advanced technologies give us all this stuff, but ultimately wind up limiting yeah. our experience or yeah. creating economic inefficiency where before there was none. Yeah, absolutely. I and mean, what's interesting to think about is like, I, 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 I've worked in my career, I mean, and I, and I worked on a lot of natural language processing stuff in my time. So I've worked on a lot of like, you know, data mining and there's it's a search algorithm. So uh, a recommendation system is kind of just a search algorithm. So what's interesting though is like the – almost the holy grail in a lot of ways is like social search because it's like I, if I'm – if I have uh, – I'm looking for new music. I Google new music. Like what, what, what the hell would I – how would I search for something that I don't know what I'm searching for, right? And how do you do it? Well, recommendation systems. Blah, 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 blah. Um, you see how that works out, right? Netflix just ends up putting whatever garbage they're shilling up at the top. It's like that's right. So what really what I would want is go, hey, I'd like to know what Arthur would recommend for new music, right? I want to see music sort of filtered by people that I know. It's almost like having a comprehensible group of people that you deal with is a good thing and that's what we're used to, you know? The, so I'm like the problem is just that I don't have a community of people that I could just go into the chat and be like, have you guys heard any new music recently? That would be good. Right? It's like that, that's really what I want and I want that. But I want the benefits of having a small town or a group of people or whatever and for that to be recomposable and not geographic. So like imagine you can have a small town, but that small – everyone who lives in that small town can live in a different country. Like that's kind of what this – what we're going for. And I think that that by very definition would be a calmer experience because one, it would allow you to deal with this sort of heterogeneous information that we're kind of shuffling around all the time in a more human way and have it be based on the people from whom it's coming. This is another thing in sort of data – uh, search type things is everyone wants to know the provenance of the – I mean there's very complicated ways of saying it's like who who recommended this band. Do you know what I mean? It's like – it's just like it seems like this, they come up with these space age answers to these very basic questions, which is that if someone I trust recommends this band, I want it higher than someone who I don't trust recommending the band, right? And that's just like every person who's ever asked for a recommendation for music knows that, right? And so the question is instead of having more and more elaborate technological answers – over this sort of ungainly set of possible music suggestions, how about you limit the amount of people, right, and make it such that people can actually have communities of their own and curate them themselves, and then a lot of these problems go away. And I think that's that would yield a calmer environment, even at the sort of social level. Galen said to me something really insightful, and that was that technology gets adopted out of enterprise value or fashion. And you need to pick one of the two. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting. Uh, yeah, which is going to drive adoption of it? Well, first of all, you gotta, I gotta, you gotta, I gotta ask if I if I agree with uh, with that dichotomy. Certainly, consumer. It's an interesting question if that's how it should be, right? I think that's how we're going to do it, um, and I think it's the right thing to do because I think that we are really trying to actually achieve what the personal computing revolution set out to do. Right. I mean, like that's what I mean. We could say a lot of different things, but really we have a lot of the same values as that initial generation. And we're trying to actually just rewind the tape and basically be able to foresee the things that made them kind of go in this um, pathological situation. So insofar as we're trying to really revive the kind of spirit of the personal computing revolution in a lot of ways, 
That was always imagined as a consumer product. The average person would have access to these types of things. And so I think that Galen is right that that's got to be the way that we go as well because that's the true – it's it's like if, if we have to – if we have to basically do what computers did, which is sell a whole bunch of you know supercomputers to the military to keep ourselves alive, which is what a lot of computers ended up doing, right? Um, a lot of early computers, uh, then that will have been sort of we won't have achieved our goal yet because that's not emancipatory or culturally significant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm sh- I'm sure you've heard simple, durable yours a whole bunch. So we have this problem, which is that humanity in evolved to deal with physical objects, right? I mean that's not a problem. That's just a fact. I'm assuming we all agree that that's basically true. I'm not sure what Elon – what do, uh, what do uh, uh, simulationists think? I don't know. But I think that you know we evolved for like physical things to live in a bounded area, basically bounded by our modes of transportation, human or animal, to deal with a certain amount of people, right? Uh, we did not really evolve to deal with virtual things. So everything about how humans interact with their tools is based on sort of those principles that you're evolved to deal with a, a rock fat, you know, lashed to the end of a stick, not to deal with the product that is Facebook search bar. You know what I mean? It's like you don't know. You, your whole mind is being hijacked for all these weird things. And this is like I think like a lot of these things, they boil down to – we can talk about incentives. We can talk about whatever. But it boils down to like we're not adapted to this kind of environment, to a virtual environment. So how do you make a virtual artifact that is sort of in harmony with the intuitions and uh, adaptations that humans have for physical things, right? If I say I want to make a personal computer, a computer that you can own, it has to have the – Characteristics. It has to be simple enough that you can understand what you have. If I can't fix my computer, I'm basically just leasing a computer from someone who can fix my computer in a lot of ways, right? Because without them, it's, it's useless, right? It's like, I mean, you, we've all had this experience. Like, I, I, I use a, a an Apple computer, like every you know person, and if it fails in certain conditions, it's like you're just in some weird nether region where I'm just like looking. Uh, through like unlicensed forums. It's like I have no idea what's going on, right? Can I own be said to own this thing if I can't fix it? Not really. Can you fix a thing that you can't understand? Not really. And so one of the things about Urbit, the sort of place we'd like to be, right, which we're definitely not there now, but we'd like to go there, is to make an operating system that is in fact able to be reasoned about. And this is something that I don't know how many people who listen to this are gonna are gonna go look at the source code, but I, I know where everything is in Urban and I'm not a hacking on it every day, you know. But I know which modules do what. They're not that long. I can read through them and I can reason about what's happening in them. And that alone is a, is a net gain in freedom. Anybody who has ever developed in our modern shit stack knows this feeling where you're like, oh, I use some library and there's a problem with that library and I find myself on a GitHub issue that has been open for six years and no one's – it's like what – you're just Googling stack traces, right? That's a terrible feeling. That is the feeling of being like owned. It's like you're lost. You don't know what you're doing. You're kind of just like poking at shit to see if it works. That's a bad feeling. It's funny because Urbit has this reputation clearly of being obscure but I think the obscure – it's a kind of a different kind of obscurity. The way I think about it is like it's a very deep well. But you look down and the water is totally clear. It's like if you look long enough, you can see the bottom of the well. That's not how most things are. It's being built with an eye towards stopping. Do you know what I mean? It's like – so it's, it's, it's going towards 
Kelvin zero, which I'm sure you've talked about with other people. So we're trying to freeze the operating system. You learn about Urbit and you should feel like you're learning something which is going to basically converge and terminate and you'll know what you need to know. Does that make sense? It does. But can you – well, we're at this juncture. Could you please explain that analogy you just said, freezing, Kelvin zero? Yeah. So there's a lot of version, versioning systems, software versioning systems. So the, the most common one is called uh, semantic versioning. Most people have probably seen something like this where it's like 1.0.1, 1.1, whatever. So it's like the idea is that like that first number is the major version and then the minor version and then like small fixes and bugs, stuff like that. But this increases in increments. There's no natural place for it to stop, uh, which is a good thing for some some applications, right? But like, yeah, I think you saw it be like version 72 of Chrome or something. is like, when's it going to end? It's not. It's not. This is going to keep sort of evolving and they'll keep moving buttons from one side to the other or some shit. It's like, I don't know what they're doing. But the Urbit philosophy is the polar opposite, right? So Kelvin, you're trying to go down to we, – we decrement our versions going down to zero. That's the idea. And so uh, knock our, um, our – basically our op codes. So knock is four Kelvin. So we only have a few revisions before it goes to zero and then it's done. So we're trying to be done. We're trying to finish this thing, right? So we're trying to basically finish computing and then go to the beach. Like we don't want to be doing this for the rest of our lives, you know, or maybe our lives, but not, you know, the lives of the universe. If we can pull that off, that you should have a different mindset dealing with the technology that says this is going to – you're going to learn how to do this. If I learn how to play the guitar, I'm not afraid the fucking guitar is going to change in version 2. Point, guitar 2.0. Do you know what I mean? That's not how – so it's like I think that that's – so it's a worthwhile use of my time and you're learning something about a tool that you're going to use. The idea that you, your stance towards a tool that you're going to learn how to use and then you're going to have a skill using that tool is different than something that's totally provisional and you're just trying to learn how to use it right now. Right. It's like the, the time you spend figuring out when Uber update, when the Uber app updates and they move a menu from the top to the bottom. That's every, let's work for everybody. The idea is for us is that we're trying to go the opposite way. So things are trying to become more stable. Closing remarks. The thing that I, I always want to say about this stuff is that like <clears throat> and I think you we've done a good job here. Um, but if. If Urbit succeeds, then computer-wise, you're living in a different world. You're not living – it's not like we're going to be a drop-in replacement for existing things, right? Human needs don't change, right? So we can meet a lot of human needs, but we're not necessarily going to be living in the same – replicating Urbook and Urb. Herbstagram. It's like that, that's not what we're trying to do, right? Herbstagram. <laughs> Herbstagram. I don't know. Not really good on my feet. Um, uh, but you, you, does that make sense? So it's like when people analyze this stuff, it's like, well, how, I think I've said this before. How are you going to build a Facebook on Urban? It's like that would be a failure essentially, right? And so I think it's an interesting – it's like we got to make sure we're thinking big enough because you want to not have a new computer, just a new computer in the old world, right? You want a new computer for a new world. Visit urbit.org forward slash install to get started. A Discord invite can be found at urbit.org and a Telegram channel at urbit.live. Next, 
three members of the Tlon team explain Erbit ID and the networking layer of the Erbit platform.